7.45, so we can get started. Raise your start. All right. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Sister Marjorie, would you ask the Lord's blessing? Sure. Father, we just thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. You have been a good father to us. You have kept us. We thank you for your peace. We thank you for the joy of salvation to the Lord. We ask, Lord, that you will be in our midst, that you will give us open hearts, open ears, Lord, that when we hear your word, we will understand and it will transform us, it will renew our minds. We pray for the one that teach the class tonight, Father. We pray that you will give him the wisdom that comes from heaven, that he will bring that word in all simplicity, in clarity, and in the wisdom of God. Let your presence be with us this evening, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hopefully, others will join us as we go along tonight, but I'm glad to have you with us. And uh, tonight, we'll try our best to wrap up our study of spiritual gifts. Uh, last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 13. Tonight, we will go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we will deal specifically with the gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues. Now, at the end of last week's class, we had a question about speaking in tongues. I gave a condensed and brief response to that question. I appreciated that question, and we just didn't have the time there at the end to go into a lot of detail. So we'll try to do that tonight because I I think most of us understand that speaking in tongues is probably the one spiritual gift more so than any of the others that causes concern, confusion. Uh, you know, we talked in the first class about cessationism versus continuationism, right? The, the churches that believe that the gifts were just for the apostles, just for the early church, that they ceased once the scriptures had been completed, versus those of us that believe that these gifts were given for the entire age of the church, the entire body of the church, all generations, until Jesus returns. And if we were to take speaking in tongues and to a lesser degree prophecy out of the equation, I think we would find that there would be almost no cessationist. Even the most devoted cessationist, if they get sick, will ask someone to pray for them that they might be healed. If something, you know, if, if there's a, a, a very desperate situation, they'll pray for a miracle, right? They don't deny, at least as far as I know, that God is able to still heal people. 
and do miracles. <laughs> but they don't under they don't make the connection though that healing and miracles are gifts of the spirit. So they may claim not to believe that the gifts of the spirit continue, but what they're most likely concerned about are these two gifts, the prophesying and the speaking in tongues. If we took those off the table, I think they'd be okay with, <laughs> with the rest of them. Uh, but obviously, because they're in Scripture and because they're in practice in the church, we can't really take them off the table. What we can do and what we should do is teach clearly, uh, scripturally, doctrinally, what these gifts are, what they're for, and how they should be used in the body of Christ. And that is really what chapter 14, for all of its controversy, or as my Jamaican friends would say, controversy, controversy, uh, for all of that, um, prophecy and tongues seemingly have been a point of contention even from the beginning because Paul focuses on these two gifts and the abuse of these two gifts uh, for uh, for really an entire chapter here. And really from the, from the end of chapter 12. Now remember how he ends chapter 12. I, I, I would that you would desire the best gifts, right? So he's talking about um, what gifts have the most benefit, are the biggest blessing to the church. And, of course, he, he goes off into his talking about how love should lead us to the best gifts. And then he begins, so he picks up in chapter 14, almost from the the very end of chapter 12, which, if we read it in uh, in the New King James, Chapter 14 begins with pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks the tongues, unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. So let's stop there for a moment, and let's talk about why Paul is bringing these two gifts almost to the to the to the forefront of the whole case that he's making about spiritual gifts. He says we are to desire all the charismata, but especially the gift of prophecy. Now he is speaking. Remember, all of this is in the context of the public gathering. We're not dealing with personal devotional lives. We're not dealing with um, you know the, the, the individual households. But when you come together as a body, 
what is what should be the highest priority what should be at the top of the list paul says it should be to hear from god so let's when we think about prophecy what is prophecy prophecy is when god himself speaks directly through an instrument preacher a teacher a church member anybody really when god himself speaks directly to his people now of course we have scripture we have the word of god and when we teach when we preach we use the word of god as our our foundation and god certainly does speak to us through his word and that is one way of hearing from god but that's not prophecy when i you know i'm sitting here tonight and we're reading the scripture and we're talking about the scripture this is not a prophetic utterance i've i've applied all of my uh my my best understanding and my search for wisdom and my search for clarity i've compared uh 20 different versions of the scriptures i've i've studied the commentaries what you're hearing from me tonight is divinely enabled god has given me the ability to understand and interpret and teach but it's not god himself speaking through me and that's the difference i get up into a pulpit on sundays i am preaching from the position of having spent the time in prayer and study asking god what to share with the people to encourage them to 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 provoke them to bring them to a better place of understanding or a better relationship with god but and and the spirit certainly helps me do that but that's not prophecy now during the course of preaching a sermon during the course of maybe teaching this class tonight is it possible that god may decide at any given moment to lead me away from what i've prepared to say and give me a specific word a prophetic utterance to share during the course of the sermon or during the course of the class of course it is and i will testify that that has happened on more than one occasion you know you you go i go up to the pulpit on sunday i'm intent on preaching from a certain text and bringing certain truths and certain points out of that text and some point in the sermon god takes over and for that moment or that few minutes he begins to speak through me and and in a way that is unrelated to the preparation and the study that I've prepared that will happen that can happen that can happen when teaching a class that can happen when you are talking with another believer um so prophecy is when God himself speaks through a person a specific word or a specific uh 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 um revelation or specific uh, application of his word uh and when it's 
the teacher or the pastor or the preacher who's just sharing their own insights that God has given them, it is not prophecy. So although I'm at times, I'm perceived as being anti-prophet, I very much believe and pray for. We, we, we should have an expectation. We should have a hope every time we come together in the name of Jesus Christ to hear from God himself, to hear from the Holy Spirit. Because as well-prepared and as well-educated and as, as well-developed as a preacher or pastor or teacher could be, they certainly are no substitute for God himself speaking his word to us. So he contrasts, he's comparing and contrasting the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. What does he say about tongues? He says that tongues, being unintelligible, being something that even the speaker themselves does not understand what they're saying, has great value in edifying the one who is praying, but very little value in edifying the rest of the people who are hearing them pray. Tongues, in other words, uh, is not as useful in the public gathering because it's more often intended only for the one who is praying and not always for the whole body. Now, he does he does say later in the chapter, and we'll read these verses in just a moment, uh, but he does say that there can be an interpreter present. Someone can share the message that comes through tongues. But even in those cases, uh, the interpretation may be very limited to just that one who is speaking and not necessarily always for the whole body. So he says that he prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless they interpret because he who prophesies gives more value to the church itself when it gathers publicly. So when we come together, the intention, the desire, and this is always, there's always a, uh, there's always a tension in, I guess it's all, been there, because if you read 1 Corinthians, there was a lot of issues in Corinth. But there's always tension. Do I go to church for my own benefit? Or do I go to church to be used to minister to others who might be in hurting or in need? Right? That's sort of the tension. That's the two different kinds of people that, that are the two different ways we think about coming together as the body of Christ. One way we think about it is, I've had a rough week. I've had, I'm going through a battle. I'm going through a struggle. I want to get to church and be ministered to. I'm there to receive. I'm there to be encouraged. I'm there to be edified. This is not a bad thing. I know it sounds like I'm, it, it kind of sounds selfish in a sense, but if you're hurting, if you're genuinely struggling, if you're going through a real battle, you absolutely need to be ministered to. 
You need to be encouraged. You need to be strengthened. Your faith needs to be uh, uh, developed. Your understanding needs to grow. If you're if you're confused about what speaking in tongues is all about, you need the church and the public gathering to you know to to be edified. At the same time. If everyone who comes to church comes to receive and no one comes to minister, then we've got a problem, right? We're all sitting around waiting, all right, who who's going to help me? And everybody else is thinking the same thing, who's going to help me? And it ends up being a frustrating situation because nobody's there to help anybody. So that tension between receiving and giving, of being one who ministers and one who is ministered to is always present in the body of Christ. And there's always a need for both. And one of the reasons why you need to be ministered to is so that maybe the next time the church gathers or at a future date when the church gathers, you can be encouraged. You can yourself be an encouragement to others or be a minister to others. So this is this is the tension that kind of exists when we come together and when we, we work together. But we want, when we're in uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit, when we're in the presence of the church, there should always be a desire, always be a hunger to hear from the Lord. And the way the Lord speaks to us Yes, he speaks to us through his word. Yes, he speaks to us through the worship, the songs we sing, the the prayers we pray. We can all receive from that. But in a more specific context, there may be an immediate need or there may be a situation that can only be resolved by God directly uh, we call it an interruption, but since it's his service, we're really the ones interrupting him, right? So it's not an interruption when the spirit moves. It's an interruption when we stop the spirit from moving. But we use the term divine interruption to describe those deviations from the standard sing three songs, pray a prayer, take an offering, preach a sermon, go home. When God begins to move and God begins to speak, this is this is of great value and benefit to church. Do I have any comments or questions on this part? Um, Pastor, what I do I do understand about the speaking in tongues and interpretation, etc. But what is your take on some churches that when it comes on tiring time, which means, you know, pray and wait on the Lord to fill it with his Holy Spirit, the, uh, uh, the, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, there are some churches that I'm quite aware of who, when you're there praying or trying for the Holy Spirit, they are telling you in your ears, 
speaking tongues, speaking tongues, say blah, 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 whatever they tell you to say. Now, to me, that's a just, that's a total misunderstanding and misinterpretation of what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And there are some people at this, that I know who strongly believe in that, like they're teaching you what to say. What's your take on that? Well, uh, you know, I don't find any evidence in Scripture for that method um, that you're describing of trying to trying to teach somebody or trying to uh, give somebody a certain phrase or a certain set of words to repeat over and over again, and calling that speaking in tongues. That's that's not the biblical definition of speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language, and let me make make that clear, the word tongue means language. Glossi, glossolalia. It's, it's, it's a Greek word. It means a, a, a language. Think of what a language is. I didn't, it's been a long time since I took English in, in school, but a language has nouns and verbs and Subjects and predicates, it's, it has structure. It's never meaningless. It's never babble. You know, babble is what happened at, uh, babble, right? And meaningless, uh, meaningless words are useless to yourself and to anybody else. If the words don't mean anything, what's the point? You might have a, you know, you might you might get a little uh, happy or, you know, do a little shouting and dancing, and that's okay. But unless we're using actual words that mean actual things, we're not really praying. You know, when you go to God in prayer, you don't just go blah, blah, blah. Okay, God, you got it from here. You got to speak something. You got to, you know, I, I know God knows what we need. And sometimes, according to Romans, the Spirit himself will make intercession for us and pray for us. But but it's always some sort of intelligible, meaningful speech. It's never just nonsense. And so I would reject pretty much on a scriptural basis this idea of one particular phrase that has no real meaning repeated over and over or one set of syllables just said faster and faster but has no intelligible meaning this would not to me be evidence of anything spirit related the spirit is a person he has an intelligence he has a voice think about when we think about the evidence of speaking in tongues and i know this is an unusual application you, i don't know how many of you've even saw this or heard this. Um, but remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? He talked about being born again, and he used that analogy. The wind blows wherever it blows, and you hear the sound, right? You hear the sound of the wind blowing. And he said, so it is with those who are born of the Spirit. 
But if one is born of the Spirit, you will hear the sound of the Spirit. There is some uh, translations of the Bible translate that passage, John chapter 3, I think it's verse 8 or 7 or 8, they translate it as the Spirit blows where He wills, and you know His voice, or you will hear His voice. So if I'm hearing a voice, if I'm hearing the voice of the Spirit, but the words are meaningless, they're just babble, they're just gibberish, what does that tell me about the Spirit? If you hear a baby, you know, when we think of gibberish, we think of what? Baby talk, right? You know, it's cute. It's funny. But when a baby just goes and says, you know, the, the, the baby talk that it says. And there's no doubt in my mind that that baby is absolutely convinced that what it's saying has value. But it's, it, it's, it's not anything that you can do anything with. The day of Pentecost, when they spoke with other tongues, what did the people hear? The people heard their own languages, right? They didn't hear Babel. They didn't hear gibberish. Now, there's a possibility that some of them did because there's the, the group that thought they were drunk and, you know, just talking nonsense. So maybe, <laughs> maybe there's some sort of miracle that has to take place on both sides the words being spoken and the words being heard. But anytime, and I'll use the argument here. Uh, he says, verse, what is this? Verse 5. Uh, Unless he interprets. Verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life like flutes and harps, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is being piped or played? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. None of them is without significance. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What do I conclude? I will pray with the Spirit, but I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, but I will also sing with the other with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he cannot understand what you are saying? You might be giving thanks well, but the other is not edified. So he makes the case that Whatever tongues is spoken, there should be an understanding or an interpretation given of what is being spoken if it's going to benefit those who hear it. Now, your question specified evidence 
of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or evidence being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is not necessarily for the benefit of the church. That's for the benefit of the individual being filled. In those cases, um, it's still proper for you to ask the Lord to interpret what you said for your own personal benefit, right? So you're filled with the Holy Ghost and you speak in tongues. The most common interpretation of those tongues is going to be some sort of praise or worship of glorifying God. That's what they heard on the day of Pentecost. Paul makes reference to that here about blessing with the Spirit, praying, singing with the Spirit, praise, worship. Uh, so there's certainly a lot of edification for you as an individual when you pray in the Spirit, when you pray in tongues. But if it's going to be of any benefit to anybody else, an interpretation should be given so that those who um, are hearing what you say uh, know that God is the one who is speaking or that what is being spoken is of God. And so I would just say as a, as a categorical denial, you cannot be taught to speak in tongues. You cannot be uh, uh, emotionally manipulated to speak in tongues. Uh, and if you are being manipulated, if someone is trying to press you or force you or teach you or give you some sort of secret, this is how you do it. Whatever comes out of your mouth next, number one, will not be of God. And if it's not of God, it really will be of any um, all right. Does, does, does that help, or does anybody else want to speak to that? Yes, Pastor. Pastor? Yes, go ahead. Now, I am going to go back a little. I understand clearly what you say. So I'm going to, when I have had a concern over the years in terms of speaking in tongues and interpretation. And um, here's where my concern is, you know, I've been in services and there's a speaking in tongues and there's an interpretation. But after the interpretation is given, I'm, I'm talking about a general public service now, and interpretation is given and they say it's for the church. But quite often after that, each speaker or leader would come up and start to give a different understanding of what that um what was said and what the church should do and my concern is that looking at acts chapter 28 and i think verse 15 and it says it seems good to the holy spirit and to us and i hope i'm quoting it right <laughs> not only any unnecessary burden so i wonder where is the, i see a problem there because if, if if the Holy Spirit spoke to the general church and is interpreted, I I think that um, the, all of us should leave that place with the same understanding of what the Spirit said to the church. So over the years, I've had this concern. I've sat in several services, and I, this has happened, and I I kind of leave more confused as to really what was what the Holy Spirit said because of 
the speakers who would come up after, sometimes leaders, sometimes the moderator, and sort of interpret to me, said different things that what was that that the Holy Spirit said. So that's that is, you know, um, I've learned over the years. So after that, to um, seek the Lord and ask Him for His help in situations like that. But that's been a concern to me. Speaking in terms of interpreting to a general church. Yeah, I, if, it seems, if it seems good to the Holy Spirit, right? And those who should all be saying the same thing of that message. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I've seen that happen myself, and it, it's always, it's always, uh, <laughs> it's always a concern. Um, there have been times, and, and I, you know, I, I try to take these on a case-by-case basis. I try not to just generally blanket. Um, I, I, I've seen occasions where a person tries to take over a service, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, Pastor, where a person wants to take over a service, interrupt the service, believing they've got a message from God, given out in tongues and interpretation. And even though I don't fault their intent, it seems clear to me after hearing them speak and what they have to say that that's really more from their spirit than it was from the spirit of God. They had an agenda they wanted to share. And so um, not, not that necessarily, you know, that's always, you know, uh, always a bad thing. You know, we want to, you know, if somebody has something on their heart, they want to share with the church. Just don't try to dress it up as a message from God. You know, be honest and say, I have something in my heart. I want to share it to the church. Your point or the, the, the circumstance you described, kind of the flip side of that, where the leader, the pastor, the evangelist, the speaker, whoever it is, uh, already has an agenda they're trying to promote, again, with good intentions. You know, I I had an evangelist tell me one time um, that he would not let anyone speak in tongues once he began preaching because he was the one who was chosen by God to give the message to the church that night. Uh, So I thought, you know, some of them have that mindset that... uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, they know better than than whatever comes out of that gift of tongues and interpretation, and you know, they're there to correct, or they're there to sort of bring it back to whatever point they were there that night to to share, and um, that's unfortunate because I know, and I'm pastor. You may have had I I I. I don't want to speak for you, but you may have had the same type of experience. I have walked into a pulpit believing I had a good message only to to have the Lord stop me either directly in my spirit or by by touching someone in the congregation and using them instead. And it's 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 a very humbling thing. You know, it's 
you, you kind of feel like, oh, well, I just you know, I spent all week preparing that, that message, and now we're... But you, you begin to realize that God, not that necessarily you missed it, but that God, for that time or for that place, you know, God is taking priority and taking charge of the service. And my response has always been, if I perceive, discern the Spirit, that it's of God, I immediately take a a supportive role, you know. Whatever God wants to do, I'm with it, you know. And if we're not going to have a message that Sunday from the pulpit, because God's going to give the message himself, I'm okay with that. I, I really am. I, I really genuinely okay with that. And um, I, I think the problem may derive from the fact that sometimes we're so committed to the format. We got to get all this stuff in, all the stuff we do at church got to get in that we don't really allow for um, the spirit of God. Again, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. We come together in the name of Jesus, believing that the Holy Spirit is present, not only within us, present among us. Why would we not want to hear from him? <laughs> if, if, if I, if I, you know, if I've got a choice, if I've ever got a choice of talking to uh, the, the president of my company or talking to one of his middle managers, I'd rather talk to the president. You know, I want to hear straight from him what, what he wants us to do. And not that the middle managers are, and I don't mean to make pastors middle managers, but in a sense, <laughs> you know, we're we're hired help. If God is present and He wants to speak, who you know, why would we why would we not want to hear directly from the Lord? Uh, now, you probably have heard this as well, Pastor. That sometimes I will have been in churches, been in services where there have been conflicting messages. <laughs> Or someone has spoken one thing and someone else will speak a different thing. And that's where Paul here in chapter 14 tells us that someone's got to be the referee. Someone's got to be the judge. And as a shepherd, as a pastor, it often falls to people like us to humbly and, and prayerfully discern the spirit, test the spirit. And I would even go with the speaking in tongues in general. We should not assume all speaking in tongues is from God. The devil is a counterfeiter. He is a liar. He is a thief. And just because somebody speaks in tongues doesn't necessarily mean they're even filled with the Holy Spirit or speaking for God. It's, it, you know, we've got to have that spiritual sensitivity. I mean, think about Corinth. You know this letter pretty well. Most of you know this letter pretty well. These were tongue talkers. They were, these were spiritual gift operators. These were every one of you has a psalm. Every one of you has a tongue. Every one of you has a prophecy. Would you want to be in a church like that? Everyone a psalm, everyone a tongue. Everyone. Sounds great, doesn't it? What does Paul tell us about this church? Immature, divided, sectarian, cultish, immoral, Go to chapter 5. Son sleeping with his father's wife. 
Chapter 6 is what? Suing each other in court. Chapter 7, some of the men were having trouble containing their lust. Chapter 8, some of them weren't very generous in their giving. Right? Chapter 9, they're consorting with idols at feasts. Right? I may be getting some of the chapters mixed up, but I think, I think I'm going in order. You know, chapter 10, uh, the, the examples of God uh, rejecting the Israelites who murmured, right? What's he trying to say about the Corinthians there? Bunch of complainers and backbiters. Uh, hadn't figured out the Lord's Supper. Getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. What's that, chapter 11? Um, or is that chapter 10? Chapter 10, chapter 11. Somebody was getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, women prophesying out their heads uncovered. I don't even want to touch that, but you You understand. So all these spiritual gifts are operating. This is, you know, Paul says you are enriched with every gift. And yet for all of their spiritual giftedness, this church was a mess. This church was messed up, selfish and sectarian and carnal and, 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 and mixed up in all kinds of things. So that's why he says in chapter 12, spiritual gifts are not a substitute or a replacement for the leadership and the authority of those in the church that God has placed. That's why he says in chapter 13, you all need to learn to love each other again. And that's why he says in chapter 14 that all of this confusion, and that's what you were talking about, Pastor. I know I've preached a little bit. I'll get back to teaching in just a moment. But all that confusion was, was, was not edifying the church and... The added concern was it was really hindering their ability to reach the lost. So uh, to your point, if there's confusion in the house, um, somebody or more than somebody is acting, uh, acting out of and not acting in the spirit of God. Anything else to add there, Pastor, or, or anyone else want to speak to that? No, I think you um think you um satisfy the arguments that I have in my mind, you know. Because I've walked away from services, you know, just wondering. So what did the Lord really say to, to us, you know, in all of the, the the conflicting understanding of what he says. So one needs to be careful to make sure that it's really the Lord. Because I believe, and I, I honestly believe this more, when, when the Lord speaks to us, He speaks in unity. And also, His Word can, can of course, um, for the lack of a verify what the Spirit says. But they, they, don't, they, they don't work separate of each other. They, are, they, they, they confirm the Spirit and the Word. They, they work. So if the Spirit speaks, the Word of God should be able, right? We should be able to understand through His Word what the Spirit says. That's my take on this whole matter here. Amen. Anybody else? I have a, um, a question, Pastor, about like an experience I had because of an experience I had. Um, like, it came to the point, it happened in a situation where, like, speaking in tongues against, like, 
other dark, like other like evil spirits and darkness. Is is that like accurate? Like, can you possibly speak in tongues to fight off, um, you know, evil spirits and and like fight off demons? Prayer in any form is effective against evil, against spiritual forces. Uh, when we we talk about spiritual warfare, and Paul writes about it in Ephesians, he he, he makes it clear that prayer is uh, our most effective way of standing up to the devil and to demons. So, and, and speaking in tongues is prayer. It's prayer and it's worship. That's what it is. It, now, I, yeah, I'm not. I don't want to put. I don't want to uh, put an interpretation on what you're saying. So if I'm if I miss it, just tell me I, I, I didn't get it right. But the sense I, I pick up there is the belief that speaking in tongues itself is some sort of, and I'll use the term magical formula because I think we all understand what I'm trying to say, that there's some kind of power in just speaking in tongues. It's power, yeah. It's like the yeah. power yeah. when you I'd be, speak I'd be tongues. careful with that. Yeah. It's not how you, it, it's what you say, not how you say it. Right, if yeah. You do, if you don't know what to pray, tongues can help you by letting the Spirit pray according to the will of God. That's Romans chapter 8. Um, but just, you know, speaking in tongues as some sort of, of, of instrument of protection or it wards off some kind of evil spirit, that, that would not be biblical. If you're going to pray a lot, if you're going to pray a lot in tongues, you're going to, you're going to encounter a lot of spiritual resistance. <laughs> The devil will fight prayer every chance yeah. he gets. Demons will fight prayer every chance they get. You know, yeah. it's not going to drive them away because they're going to come after the person who prays as much as possible to hinder those prayers, to hinder your prayers. Um, <laughs> but when you pray and when you pray in the spirit, you are edified, your your spirit is strengthened, your your faith is encouraged. Uh, what praying in the spirit does is help you focus more on God and less on demons and devils, and that's always a good thing, because the only thing that really uh, gets rid of demons and devils is the person of Jesus Christ, his name, his blood. That's your protection. Um, and so I would encourage anyone who's going through a spiritual battle or spiritual warfare to pray, pray often, pray without ceasing, pray in the spirit, pray in tongues. If so, led by the spirit to pray in tongues, uh, not to ward off demons, but to gain the strength and the power and the, and the faith to continue to serve Christ and stand for Christ in the midst of the the conflict and the attack. Because all spiritual attacks are for the same purpose, to destroy your faith, to discourage you from following the Lord, 
to damage your testimony. So prayer and prayer in the spirit is of great value in that battle. But um, there's no magic to it. It, It's not a formula. You know, I can't teach you the the five magic words to say in tongues that all demons are afraid (laughs) of. And anybody, well, I, I, I say that lightly, but there are people out there who will tell you that very thing. They will give you a secret prayer to pray to drive a demon away or a secret prayer to pray to, to get money or whatever. Stay away from all of that. That's all um, false and fraudulent and fake. Um, God, God doesn't do it that way. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not into this secret knowledge business, this, this, uh, you know, and I'd go even, I'd even go so far, you know, you see this sometimes, you see it on the social media, you know, pass this prayer along to 10 people and you'll get $10 by the end of the day, that kind of stuff. That's all such garbage and nonsense that you, if you don't know better, and I know you do, but for those who are hearing who don't know better, uh, Unplug, uh, turn it off, get away from it, because that's that's not God. Um, but speaking in tongues, absolutely a great encouragement uh, to anyone. And Paul here says, I mean, he says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So he is not anti-tongues. He is not trying to say tongues are bad. He's saying tongues are good. Tongues will be a great blessing to you. But, he says, in the church. What is the church? The church is the ecclesia, the called out, the assembly. When we come together, I would rather speak five words that can be understood so that I can teach others than to speak 10,000 words in a tongue. So, uh, you know, some people think if I just pray enough in tongues, eventually something will happen. Well, like I said, you can you can certainly be encouraged, and you can certainly feel a presence of the Lord and feel a joy and feel peace from praying in tongues. But it's not going to benefit another soul until you interpret those tongues or until you speak in a language that people can understand. And uh, we won't we won't go into every verse here, but a couple ones, others that will uh, I think help our understanding here is the effect that tongues has on unbelievers. Okay, that's verses 22 through 25, um, and it may be. And Pastor, you may want to speak to this if you have had experience with this. Uh, I've been in many a church service. I'm very sad to say that the outbreak of spiritual manifestations has, um, I don't know how to put it, what's the right way to put it, scared people off? (laughs) Is that a fair way to say it? Um, People come to church, maybe for the first time, maybe their first time in any kind of church, and they see people jumping and dancing and falling down and, speaking in tongues, and they're out the door. They're, they're, that, that's it. That's, 
No, no, that's that's not for me. That's not that. I don't know what that is, but I'm not I'm not I'm not down with that. Um, I know some people say, well, you know, we shouldn't be concerned. Paul says here we should be concerned. We should always be concerned how our behavior affects the ability of the gospel to reach people for Jesus Christ. And while certain signs can be a very effective and encouraging faith, the apostles' were message was confirmed with signs and wonders. There are other manifestations that will have the opposite effect. They will drive people. Now, I guess the truth of the matter is, is lately here at Lighthouse, we haven't had any unbelievers to drive away. So I guess we're okay. Uh, and maybe that's a reason why the signs, the good, the, the, the use, the more useful signs aren't in any abundance. I don't know if that's a, we can put that on the list of reasons why we've seen a decline in spiritual gifts. Maybe we're not engaging the lost enough. If we bring the lost to church, maybe we'll see more useful spiritual gifts operative. But the effect they have on unbelievers has to be always considered when we uh, express uh, our spirituality uh, in public, particularly in public worship. Uh, anyone have anything, a uh, question or, or something to share about that? Yes, Pastor. I just think that there are times when we need to... Um, with ourselves of our of our emotional emotional feelings and, and, and operations and, and let the Holy Spirit does do the work that, that he's that he is 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 there to do do and sometimes our emotions do carry us away. I when I was um this took over for for in the church where the prophets there was a particular church in my district that I, I had to um, visit one Sunday, and I, I I left there wondering what, what was happening. You know, there was such an emotional—I call it an emotional—outburst—that there was nothing there in my mind that could edify even me or the or the unbeliever. Some matter that I had to take up with the the state overseer, and uh, we had to sit down and. The, you know, teach and and, and, and and try to help that situation because every Sunday, from what I understand, was the same emotional outburst and nothing was happening. There was no preaching, and they they thought that was a great service, you know. But when I visited that Sunday, I got nothing from that service, and all I saw was a lot of emotional expressions. And uh, not no edification of the body. Thank God they, they got it straightened out after a while. But we have to be careful. The important thing for the believer is that we stay prayed up, right, and in tune with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Amen. And I'll I'll endorse that. Um. <laughs> Anytime I'm in a service, 
whether it's right here at Lighthouse or while visiting a church or visiting camp meetings or whatever, I nothing nothing short of false doctrine grieves me more than and worship takes the blame for a lot of this, but it's not always worship. Sometimes the preacher will do it too. But to feel myself being manipulated, to feel that the whether it's the worship leader, the worship team, whether it's the preacher when he's preaching or she's preaching, trying to provoke or manipulate or create uh, a manifestation out of thin air. And people are people are um, are sometimes uh, susceptible to that, you know. And I've said it, and I, I know this comes off as being terribly. And you mentioned emotional. I like a little emotion in the worship. I want people to be joyful. I want them to be cheerful. I'm mournful, depending on what kind of, <laughs> if we're singing the old rugged cross, there should be a, a mournful thought, you know, and, 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 you know, to this day, there are still songs that bring tears to my eyes. There's still songs that, that uh, just make me smile, make me want to laugh for joy. I, I don't want to eliminate the emotion. Uh, I, I don't, you know, we don't want to go full Baptist on everybody, <laughs> but I do agree with you that that sense of manipulation where we're just trying to force something spiritual to happen. And if we can't get the real thing, we'll substitute or settle for a substitute. And I I just can't, I can't, I can't do that. If it's not the Holy Spirit, you've lost me. You've lost me. You've lost me for the worship, and you've lost me for the sermon, because I'm not interested in the fake. And, and I don't mean fake in the sense that there's an evil intention. I think we've, Pastor, and I say this, and I know this has been you and I mostly talking tonight, and please anybody else jump in, but I feel like we've raised a generation of Pentecostal believers who can't tell the difference, who don't know the difference, who've never seen a genuine move of the Holy Spirit, and they think what they're seeing every Sunday is the real thing, and that's all what they know. And that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart because that's, that's on us. That happened on my watch. And, uh, you know, I, I've asked God many times, if these things are going to lead us astray, take them away. You know, we still have, we'll still have the Bible. We'll still have songs. We'll still have sermons. We'll still have prayer. God can work through all of that. I'm not interested in anything that's not of God. If it's not from the Holy Spirit, it, it's of no value. It's no purpose, no meaning. And I, I, I go back to some of what was happening at Corinth. Paul doesn't charge them with any of that. But you can tell for all of their 
noise and all of their uh, manifestations, this church was not anchored and in, in, in growing spiritually and, and mature. And some of that could have just been they came out of such a pagan culture that it just didn't have time yet. And I think that's where Paul's coming from. He's, he's being very patient with them because he knows they were once carried away to these dumb idols. And they were once participants in this worldly pagan, uh, you know, prophetic system. And so he's being very patient with them and he's gently leading them to come to discern between what's real and what's not. May God give us real manifestations. Please, God, give us real manifestations because we're not enough by ourselves. It's not enough without God. We can't do it as we're proving. <laughs> as the church is showing, Amen. we need God's Spirit moving among us again. Uh, so I'm with you on that, Pastor. Nothing Amen. refreshes me more than when the Holy Spirit is genuinely working and moving, and nothing oh, yeah. discourages me more when he's not. Anybody else want to speak to that before we, we leave it? Um, Bishop, um, not directly to that, um, but there is a school of thought that um, speaking in tongues during prayer is beneficial because the, the devil does not understand what we are seeing. What, what is your take on that? If you don't have the time tonight, maybe next week we can look at it. I, I can give you a nutshell of my interpretation of that. If we're praying in faith, it doesn't matter what he understands and what he doesn't. Uh, the devil is not able to hinder your prayers because he understands them. This is a false. This is attributing to the devil something that is not his scripturally. There's no indication in the scripture. We have recorded prayers of Jesus where he prayed in an understandable language. The devil wasn't able to do a thing about it. Peter and Paul said to the man at the gate, at the gate beautiful, such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. They didn't do it in tongues. They did it in Greek or Aramaic or whatever he spoke. This is, this is a fallacy. This idea that if we pray in an unknown language, then the devil can't do anything. The devil can't do anything about it anyway, if we're praying in faith according to the will of God. Now, um, does that mean there's no benefit to tongues? No, there is. Because <laughs> sometimes we don't know what to pray for. And that's a different equation. If you don't know what to pray for and you want to pray effectively, pray in the Spirit. Because what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 8? The Spirit always prays according to the will of God. So if you want every prayer you pray to be according to God's will, you'll pray in the Spirit. But praying in the Spirit isn't always the same thing as praying in tongues. It can be. Remember what Jude said? You build yourself up by praying in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think Paul told Timothy to pray in the Spirit to encourage himself. Um, this can be tongues, but notice what Paul says earlier in chapter 14. I will pray with the Spirit and 
I will pray with the understanding. Does that sound like somebody who's worried about the devil understanding his prayer? He's saying very clearly, when I pray in the Spirit, I should seek to also pray with understanding so that I might know what the will of God was. Think, think, of, it this ter- think of it in these terms. You can pray in the Spirit, never know what you're praying about. How will you know that God answers the prayer? If you, if you don't know what you prayed for, I guess you might spend the rest of your time believing that the devil hindered that prayer because you don't know it was ever answered because you don't know what you prayed for in the first place. So, and I'm not trying to be light about it. I know what you're asking, sister, is not based on your own beliefs, but on what people teach. But I think, you know, we've got to teach on these things correctly. The devil's ability to hinder our faith is far more something to be concerned about than whether he understands how we're praying. Uh, I don't know. Did did I go too far? Was I too hard on it? Did I hit it? No, you, um, I understand. Okay. All right. If I gave offense, deepest apologies. Um, no offense, Bishop. <laughs> you know, I... It's it's not frustration with anyone who who gets caught up in some of this. Uh, it's it's concern. It's compassion. There is no reason. Paula, I know we're out of time. Would you would you give me if you give me five minutes, I can wrap this up because uh, I th- I think we've had enough of spiritual kids. Um. It concerns me that some have, the way some accrue power to themselves is by professing that they have insights and understandings that are not available to everybody else. You got to buy my book. You got to follow my program. I, and this is, and I know I've been warning you about this stuff. Let's see, where are we? What is this, October? All right, so the Sunday before Thanksgiving, whatever no, whatever day that is in November, will be 17 years I've been your pastor. So at a minimum, I've been warning you about this for 17 years minus three or four weeks. This business of somebody knows something that nobody else knows and you got to buy their book to know it. Please. The scriptures... What did you say earlier, Pastor? The Word and the Spirit. Jesus said, He will lead you and guide you into all truth. Not, He will lead some of you into truth, and then you can sell that truth to other people. But He will lead you and guide you into all truth. Uh, Does He raise up some of us to teach? Does He give some of us to teach? Absolutely. But what we teach is not, but the purpose of teaching should not be to complicate unnecessarily the gospel or the doctrines of the gospel. Every doctrine in Scripture should be communicated simply enough that a child can understand it. And if you've got to add all of these yeah buts, or if you've got to add all of these 
secret little side things you've got to know, you're entering into the realm where deception becomes much more likely. So let me go back to the, to the two issues we talked about tonight. If I have to be taught by somebody how to speak in tongues, that gives that person power over me, right? If somebody, if I have to pray in tongues, or if I have to pray according to a certain formula, a certain way of praying to get my prayers answered, if I don't know that way of praying, think about all of the people who don't speak in tongues. Think about all of the people who don't speak in tongues. There's more who love Jesus who don't speak in tongues than those who do. So only the people who speak in tongues get their prayers answered? Or only the people who speak in tongues, the devil can't hinder them? This is this is why I react the way I do. Because any way you cut it, we're trying to exclude some and say we're superior, we're better, we know more than they do. And that's why I, I come back at it so hard. Not any other reason. Pray in tongues. I wish you all prayed in tongues. I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. And I know he says that part about women keeping silent, but that doesn't apply to prayer or prophecy, because he's already said in prayer and prophecy are okay in the church with women. Um, pray in tongues, but also pray that you would interpret those tongues. Because when I pray in tongues, I want to know. I want to be able to know what I prayed so that I will know if that prayer is answered or if that prayer was nothing more than glorifying God, giving God praise, honoring the name of Jesus Christ. That has value, too. Uh, speaking in tongues, there's a lot more we could say about it, but we've used up all of our time tonight. So if there's any final comments or questions, let me uh, let me give you the chance to express that. Does anyone have anything else on this chapter that you need some clarification on? Oh, Bishop, I missed, um, this would be for another time. I missed um, chapter 11. And um, I had a couple of questions in regards to praying with the head uncovered and the cutting off hair. So maybe sometime in the future, if we, got a, if we get a moment, you can probably kind of review that. I, I don't think you're the only one. So, yes, uh, I'll put that on the list. Um, we're still talking about the doctrine of the church, so that falls under the doctrine of the church. Everything we've been talking about for the last few weeks has been under the umbrella of the church, the public gathering of the body. So, uh, yes, we'll absolutely try. I'll try my best. But there's some... There's some things there that um, I'm going to have to pray for some insights because, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't always know exactly how to apply those to every situation we deal with today. But between now and then, I'll study, I'll pray. I might even pray in tongues a little bit and see if that helps. And uh, 
we'll kind of come up with something that uh, is true to the word and to the spirit. Anyone else? Anything else? Any other suggestions? I love it. By the way, big help to me when you tell me what you want to study or what questions you want answered. Makes my life so much easier to know what to prepare. God bless you all. Have a good night. We'll get back together again next Wednesday evening. (laughs) This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312. God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.